It is a joy to be able to be here and be here with you. Uh, I bring greetings from our church in Arizona, some 8,000 miles away. Uh, we may have a different demographic, but we serve the same Savior. It is a joy to be here with you. Um, and in fact, um, I didn't come alone. I came with a co-laborer of mine, a, a gentleman from our team, Aaron Habegger, is here with me as well. So make sure to make his acquaintance. And it's a joy to be able to be with you, to be able to put faces to the name, put faces and names to the people that we've heard Dave and Brendan and Patrick talk about with such colorful love and imagery. So it's a real honor to be here, in a good way. I, I do have to say from the beginning, I am hopelessly American, so I'm going to need lots of different help. So hopefully my accent doesn't throw you too much. One of the things I'm going to need help with is protocol going up the stairs. So I find that. I need to figure out, do I go up the left side or do I go up the right side? Left side, okay. So if you find me going up the right side, you're going to need to stop me, help me, and gather the American and help him to know what to do. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans. Dave and Jesse talked about the, perp- the purpose of our gathering is all of grace. Um, and the purpose of the message this morning is to... See if we can't make grace more amazing. Um, Like Newton said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it is easy to be able to have grace become something that's just an idea or just a concept. And it ceases to become amazing. And so what we're going to do for a few days is just gather and try to help pray that the Lord would ask us or pray that the Lord would give us amazing grace. And so we're going to see if we can't wrestle that amazement back into our hearts with the help of the Spirit. And this morning, Dave asked me to talk about sovereign grace. Now, sometimes sovereign grace could be, we could think about election. We could think about what God's done in eternity past. But what we're going to think about, am I doing something wrong? No? Am I good? All right. I can't, I don't know if I, it's Aaron, okay. Well, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about sovereign grace in the day-to-day moments of our lives. Because God is sovereign, which means that He is in control and He is empowered in every moment of our lives. And what we're going to do is instead of looking at election and how sovereignty plays in there, what we're going to do is we're going to think about one promise of the Scriptures to us and how it works in our daily lives. Because sovereignty, God's power, is mediated through oftentimes promises. Um, And I don't know what you think about promises, but I have four kids. And when one of my kids goes, I promise, Dad. Dad, really? I promise. I do, I do, I do. I won't ever do that again. I know that what they really want is their video game privileges back. (laughs) Recently, I was spending time with one of my sons who had had some problems at school, and I was talking about how he wasn't going to be able to play video games until the next Olympiad, and he said, Dad, I promise I will never do that again. I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it, I promise. But dads like me know that we can't and shouldn't believe all the promises that our children offer up. They may be sincere, but at the time we know that it's going to be inadequate because there's going to become other times where we find that they're going to be overwhelmed and they're going to fall back into what they've done before. And the reason I know this is because I've been a dad a long time. And I know that children make promises and they say things that they can't really 
follow up on. I know this from experience. Dads like me know not to always believe the promises that their children offer up. And you know what? We as Christians can think the same thing about the Scriptures and about what the promises of the Bible give us. We Christians read Bible promises and think, that's nice. It seems sincere, but maybe inadequate. You might read the Bible and hear, I I promise. Friend, really, I do. I promise. I do, I do, I do. You can trust me. And as you hear that, you might think, well, life has shown me differently. You might think you know better. You might see these biblical, biblical promises and see them to be at odds with life, your life experience. You might think, but yet not admit it because this is church, and in church you don't say things like this, but you might think it's little better than the promises of a seven-year-old who just wants his video game privileges back. Sincere, but inadequate. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see the power of our sovereign God working sovereignly in our daily lives. And here's what we can say. Here's our takeaway from this time. Our sovereign God is only always working for our good. Our sovereign God is only always working for our good. Our sovereign God is only always working for our good. And I'm going to read the section that we're going to consider here this morning. And that's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Follow along with me as I read. This is the English Standard Version. And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Lord, it is not an academic exercise that we are about this morning. It's not a gathering that we are about to try to make us feel better about ourselves. Lord, we are in dire need. We need your presence among us today. And I pray that you would help us not to just gain information, Lord. I pray that you would transform this room to be an outpost of heaven. I pray that you would throw open wide the gates of the, the windows of heaven and pour out your spirit on power amongst us all. Lord, I pray that you would stir those that maybe are a little drowsy. I pray that you would awaken those that are asleep. I pray that you would call to life those that are dead. Those things we cannot do, I cannot do, but those things we rely on you for. You are the sovereign God who doesn't just stand outside of time and space, but has entered time and space and works only always for our good by the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. It's in your name we ask for help. Amen. The promise that we just read from Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 28, this promise is as wide as a sky full of stars and as sturdy as bedrock. This promise is so big that it encompasses all the moments of our lives, the big, the small, the forgotten, the life-altering, the mundane, the first and the last. These are all things in all moments. And I want you to hear I want you to hear this, that God is only always working for our good. The sovereign God is only always working for our good. And we need to ask two questions about it. First, who is this promise for? And we see it in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good. Who is this promise for? This is for those that love God. Now, this promise stands like a citadel, like a fortress against a howling wilderness of darkness, doubt, and the devil. But this promise is not for everybody. Just as we can be certain that God never stops working for the good of Christians, we can be doubly certain that God has never started working for the good of those who are not Christians. If God is not working for your good, then what He is doing is working against you. And so I know that this is a church gathering, and I also know that most people here are Christians, but I would be a fool to assume that everybody is. Let me tell you this. If you do not know God, you will face all the challenges that life has alone. Worse, the afflictions that you go through don't add, won't, won't add up to anything meaningful. It's not worth it. These words say that God has a plan for you, but if you do not love Him, His plan is to work against you. And I hope you don't think I'm being too harsh or going over the top, but I haven't told you half. The wrath of God is fierce and unquenchable and eternal. The fires of His wrath will burn eternally for those who reject Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, you are not only hopeless in this world, but in the world to come. The promise doesn't describe the way of the world, but it announces hope to Christians in this world. And there's a big and mighty difference. If we were to write this verse for those who are not Christians, it might go like this. And we know that for those who love themselves, nothing works together for their good for those who have rejected his purpose. I hope you are not one of those people. I hope you're not one of those people. I hope you're not one that thinks, because I know about God, because I know about Jesus, because I've been around church, then I'm okay. That's not the answer. The answer is to have a real and vital saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not hard. It's not hard. Jesus himself announces that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And how can you tell if you're thirsty, if you're convicted? If you recognize before a holy God, you are a sinner who lacks, a sinner who's not able to make enough good works add up to become holy. You're a sinner who needs Jesus Christ to stand between him and God and say, this one is mine because he has put his faith in me. That's how you become a Christian, to trust him and give him your sin so that you might be able to have his forgiveness and his righteousness. This means that all you need to do is take Jesus as your great need. And through Him, God can make you whole. He can wipe away the stain of sin from your heart because Jesus Himself was punished for that sin. So who is this promise for? This is for for those who love God. For those who love God. If you don't love God, you can by loving Jesus. Because all who love Jesus really love God. So if you're not a Christian, listen to the rest of this and think about where you are before Him. Now, for those of us that are Christians, we see this promise is for those who love God. Notice that He's not inviting us to measure our love for God. He just says, for those who love God. Nor is He inviting us to ask, is my love enough? He's not asking if we've fallen in or out of love for God. He's not asking us to examine if our love is strong or our love is weak. He just says, this promise is for those who love God. Because all who trust Jesus love God. Now, do we love Him as much as we ought to? No. Do we love Him the same in every moment? No. 
Do we love him the same, with the same fire all of our life? No. Do we love him as much as he deserves? No. But do all genuine Christians love him? Yes. Do you wonder why Paul says, and we know that for those who love God? Notice that he doesn't say believe in God. He says love God. He doesn't say trust in God. He says love God. Notice that he doesn't say follow God. He says love God. Why is that? Because love always follows trust. So if you say you love God but don't trust him, maybe the fruit in your life indicates something different. Because we really trust, our real trust is seen in who we love. Now see, here's an example. If you find yourself suffering and you press closer to God and and you, and you love him more than you did before, you find that you both love and trust him. But if you suffer and then run from God, you find maybe that you never loved him nor trusted him. So who is this promise for? This promise is for those who love God. For those who love God. And this promise says that God is only, the sovereign God of the universe, is only always working for our good. Now, the second thing we need to ask is, the second question we're going to ask, and we'll spend the rest of our time on it here, is this, what does this promise apply to? So we've established who this promise is for. This promise is for those who love God. Now, in what does this promise apply? Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now that is amazing. Romans 8.28, if you're like me, that's one of the verses I have stored away up in my memory. But you know what? I am not. Every time I think about Romans 8.28, I'm not amazed enough about those two little words, all things. All things. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What things? All things. Whose things? Your things. My things? All things. That might be how Dr. Seuss would say it. (laughs) All things work together for good. Every moment in your life, everything that happens, all things, if you love God, if you are a Christian called according to His purpose, you know that all things will work together by the steady, powerful hand of God for your good. Only because He's sovereign and only because He is God of grace. All means all, always without exceptions. What things? All things. Whose things? Your things. My things? All things. Now, I'm going to get real technical here. There are two kinds of things in the world, bad things and good things. Hope you can follow with me. I don't have a chalkboard to write this on. Bad things and good things. Now, none of us need, to see the, see the, need help seeing the invisible hand of God in good things. But we all need help seeing the invisible hand of God working in our bad things. Don't we? This is where the promises of God seem like a seven-year-old saying, I promise, Dad, I won't do it. I promise. They seem sincere but inadequate. And it seems too good to be true to take at face value all things work together for good. It just does. Because we've lived life and we've gone through things that just seem so terrible and so hard. We need help believing that all things really do work together for our good in the disappointing, in the bleak, in the tiresome, in the blah, in the tragic, the heartrending, and the catastrophic things. We need, to, we need help there. 
But if we take the Bible seriously and the God of the Bible seriously, which I think we do, we can say this, all things do include the bad things. So a few considerations. All things work together for good does not mean we have to pretend that all things are good. Let me say that again. All things working together for good does not mean we have to pretend that all things are good. Have you ever been around people who try to convince themselves that something that is bad is really good? That's foolishness. That's foolishness. No, we Christians can look bad things in the face and recognize this is horrible. This is heartrending. This is tragic. But my God reigns. Read the Psalms. The psalmist is not shy about crying out to the Lord saying, where are you? Do you see what's happening? Do you know what's going on? It seems like in the bad things, we all feel the distance of God. But what we see here is this. We Christians, we, first of all, we know the difference between good and evil. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend. This promise does not ask us to ignore evil. Rather, it tells us this. God can use even the evil in our lives for good. Now think about that power. It's not just anybody who can do that. In fact, there's nobody who can do that but our God. Our sovereign God, in total control of the universe, can use the evil things in our lives, evil done to us, evil done by us, for His good. Now that is astounding. Search the world and you will not find anyone like our God. Not like that. Note the power of our God. He can use even evil things for our good. That is sovereign grace. Not just an idea, not just a concept, not some abstract, distanced reality from us, but no, this is, this is our God. Our God leverages grace in our lives for our good. He is the God who from everlasting to everlasting has steadfast love for His people. He is the God who sets their sins as far away from them as the east is from the west. He is that God. And that God says, even though evil things happen to my people, my people will see good come from them. Now notice this. We also, we also rec- need to recognize that though with it, God takes evil and works good, it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that this just happens in a general way. This happens from the direct intervention of God. And we know, verse 28, that, all, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. God works them together for good. He works them together for our good. God works good in all situations. Now, here's the key. <laughs> he doesn't promise that we'll understand how He works it for good. We can know that he works all things together for good, but he's not going to say, hey, let me explain to you how this all works. God, God promises to work good in all situations, but he does not promise that we will understand how he works good in all situations. And we may never, ever understand that. We may always ask, why didn't my mother love me? I can't see how God would use that for good. We may always ask, why did I have that miscarriage? Death isn't good. How can God use that for good? We may always ask, why am I alone? Or why does it seem like nobody understands me? It doesn't seem good to be alone. How is God going to use that? 
We may never understand why the question, the answer to the question of why did my wife leave? Abandonment can't possibly use, be used for good. We might not understand why our friends seem to be going away from us and we seem to be so lonely. We might not understand why our children seem to run from God and how, how can that be good? We might not understand why my husband died or my marriage is so hard. We might say, why, 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 how? Piper helps us here when he says God is doing 10,000 things in our lives. And we may be only aware of three of them. In all the things God is doing in your life, all 10,000 and more, all, we're, all are working, he is working all towards your good. God does some of those most significant things through situations that we do not expect. Where we cannot see it. See, he doesn't just turn bad into good. He does something far more fundamental. He uses bad situations to bring about good things for his people. Now this text doesn't promise that we'll have an answer to all the whys and hows of life. There are things that I've gone through in my life that I look back and I still say I don't understand, but I can trust God. There are things that lie ahead that we will all say I don't understand. But one of the things that brings me comfort is if I could understand everything I'm going through, I, would, I wouldn't be serving a God that, that I would want to worship. Because a God that I can understand from A to Z is not a God I would want to worship. I don't want to worship a God like me. I want to worship a God completely different than I am. A God who holds eternity in His hands. That's the kind of God I want to worship. That's the kind of God I want to be taken with. I don't want to be taken with a souped-up version of me, kind of like an Avenger God, you know? Superheroes are popular. Everybody wants to go see those movies. I don't want my God to be like Thor. I want my God to be completely different. See, only my God, only our God, can work only always for our good, even through bad things. And just because we can't understand how he works these through in our lives doesn't mean that this promise is nullified. One of the things that brings me great comfort is to think that some of Jesus' last words right before I die, he died, as he hung suspended, were why. Remember? What do he say? Why? My God, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the plan. He knew he was to be scorned. He knew he was to become sin so that we might be able to come, the righteousness of God. He knew the prophecy of Isaiah that went like this, but he, being Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All history was primed for this moment, but yet Jesus, at about the ninth hour, cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ Jesus asked the why question. He asked, but the answer from God was utter silence and complete rejection. The reason all things work for good for us is because, because all things did not turn out for good for the one who really deserved it. 
The one who really did love God enough was crushed. The one who really did love God in every moment was destroyed. The one who really did love God was dispatched to death. Jesus was destroyed. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good because in that moment, all, evil was po- all sin and evil was poured out on him. He loved God and received God's unfiltered wrath so that we might be able to take this promise from Romans chapter 8, 28 and say, that's mine. Because God in Christ is mine. We're not promised answers, but we have been given the promised one, and that's better. That's better. Whenever we go through dark times and we're tempted to say, why? Look to Jesus. He's our answer. And when we get to heaven and see him face to face, and we're like him in a moment, all those questions are just going to fall away. Because we'll be there and we'll go, this is worth it to be here with him. See, the ground of hope is not in understanding why something happened or in understanding how it can be used for God, but understanding that the God of of our universe is working for our good in Christ. We might not know how this works, but we do know the God that works all things for our good. He gives us peace, not because we understand, but He gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, this this does not mean that we should stop asking questions or praying that God would help us in our day of need. Not at all. I'm not trying to prescribe what your prayers should be. But we are limited. Finite people like you and me are not going to understand the prerogatives of a sovereign God. Not all of them. We don't know what's best for ourselves. Kind of like this. I, there's just things we can't understand about God. I, I have at home, I have a dog. His name is Moses. He's a good dog. But he doesn't understand everything he needs to know. If it were up to him, he would eat junk food. He would run around and do whatever. He'd follow me wherever I go. He'd want to get in the car. He'd want to, take, he'd want to go with me wherever I go. But what he needs to understand is he needs to eat twice a day. And if he were to come with me and go to the places that I go, he would be a complete distraction because he'd run around and want to say hello to everybody. See, he doesn't have the categories to understand what I do and who I am. The difference between my dog Moses and me is infinitely different between me and my God. We don't understand all the prerogatives of who God is. Even when we go to heaven and won't be marked with sin, and we will be clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness from that day forward and forever, we will never plumb the depths of the eternal God. We will never say, I know God thoroughly and completely because He's eternal. There will be things about him that we will never understand, even when we get there. That's the grandeur and the majesty of our God. When it comes to God, we can trust him. We need to recognize that just like my dog, there are things that we want, but they're not always the things that we need. 
and God knows what we need. Sometimes we may want a few extra dollars when what we need is a stronger faith. Sometimes we might want a better reputation, but what we need is a deeper contentment. We might want a greater level of fulfillment at work, but what we need is to learn the gift of sacrifice at church. We might want results when what we need is patience. We might want something new, but what we need is to be faithful. We might want to have new opportunities when what we need is to be grateful for the lot we, are, we have in life. We might want understanding, but what we, what we might need is to learn to pray. We might want to be happy, but what we need is a sturdy joy. We might want to be heard, but what we, need, what we might need is to listen. We might want to be We might want to get, but what we might need to be is generous. The things we need are not always the things we want. One author says this, God gave us Jesus. If God did not withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything we need? If If trust must be earned, hasn't God unequivocally earned our trust With the bark on the raw wounds and the thorns pierced into the brow, your names on his cracked lips. How will he not also graciously give us all things he deems best and right? He's already given us the incomprehensible. Even though we don't have all the answers, we can know this. Because our God is good and because he's all-powerful, because he leverages sovereign grace on our behalf, we can know that our God only always works for our good. Our God only always works for our good. Who am I? Who are you that God has loved you? Why does he love you? Why does he love me? Is it because of anything in us? No. God loves us because he's chosen to love us. He loves us because he loves us. Why is heaven our home? Because our Savior is there. Why are we forgiven? Because Jesus was scorned. Why have we been purchased back from the dead? Because our God is merciful, not giving us the wrath we deserve. Why have we been accepted though we fail again and again and again and again? Because God is gracious and our Savior, Jesus Christ, lives forevermore. When you trust God... You recognize that the wise in the house of life aren't so important. Now, I want to be careful here because I know that there are many of you who are walking through a valley shrouded, with, shrouded by death's shadow. And I know some of you are in a deep, have a deep gnawing wound on your soul from something in your past. And I don't mean to minimize that at all. I know some of you are living through misery And I want to say this with great care. If we say we will only trust him if we can understand the why questions, then we have to necessarily follow a God that we can understand. And I wouldn't wish that on any of us. We serve a God who's sovereignly control of all things. Can we truly ever understand the purposes of an infinite God? No. But can we understand this, that God works together, works, only works for good in all things of our lives? Yes. When we can't trace his hand, Spurgeon said, we can trust his heart. 
When we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. Where do you need to trust his heart? What situation? I can't say that you'll be able to understand it, but I can say that God is working in that situation. You can be confident all is for good because God is working all things only for your good, even through the tragic and the unfortunate, the catastrophic, the disastrous, the heartbreaking and the miserable moments in life. God is only always working for your good. This promise is more than a child's pledge. And when we grasp that all things work together for our good, what can harm us? Jesus, remember, Jesus is holding court in heaven with the Father praying for you right now. The Holy Spirit is within you praying and interceding to the Father right now. The Father is working all things for the good of you in your life right now. All the power and resources of the Trinity are being leveraged for your good right now. When bad things accost us, it's heaven's way of saying, watch, God's at work. If we were amongst the first followers of Jesus and were eyewitnesses to his crucifixion, we wouldn't stand there and say, ah, I can see how this all works out. We would cry our eyes out and beat our chests. We would say it was wrong and senseless and we would be rocketed into a deep depression. But the cross of Jesus Christ stands as the most remarkable example of Romans 8.28. If there is anyone for whom this promise should apply, it was Jesus. If there was anyone who lived and loved the Lord the way this man, it was him. He was not just innocent, he was the epitome of purity. His radiance was veiled by frail humanity. He was the one who loved God the way we should have loved God. He was the one who worked for his good. God called him, but God called him to another purpose. He was taken outside the city and rejected by his friends and his father. And the reason that we can know all things work together for our good is because nothing worked together for his good on that day. If there was someone who should have had all things work together for good, it was Jesus. But God rejected his son and put him outside the camp so that we might be able to hold on to this promise. God only always works things for our good, especially the bad things. So when bad things happen, watch, pray, Look, trust, love, and remember, God only, always works for our good. Only, always. God is never absent. God is never occupied. God never gives up. God never says enough. God hasn't read that book, Boundaries, so that he can find out how to have a healthy relationship with you. God has never been tempted to break up with you. Listen, don't measure the work of God. Don't measure God's work in your life by your senses because God is tirelessly working for you. He never rests. He's always thinking of you. He's always active in every moment of your life. His fingerprints are on your every moment. His love never rests. So think about it like this. Say you yell at your son, because he's slow to get ready for school. God is working in that thing for your good. Say you think a curse word when someone cuts you off in traffic. God is working that thing for your good. 
Say you lose your composure in the middle of the night and eat to excess. God is working that for your good. Say you lose someone dear to you, either in death or abandonment. God is working that for your good. Maybe you're sick. God is working that for your good. Maybe you've been hurt and you question everything. God is working even in that thing for your good. Our God is for us. So much so that He works in every little thing. I hope you take comfort in this great promise. Piper says this, Once you walk through the door of love into the massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8.28, everything changes. There you come into a life, stability, and depth, and freedom. You simply can't be blown away anymore. The confidence that a sovereign God governs your good and bad, and that all the pleasure you'll ever experience is incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. Because God is only, always working for your good in all things. What things? All things. Whose things? Your things. My things? All things. In the big moments and the small moments, in the forgotten moments, in the life-changing decisions, in the mind-numbing routine actions, in the trivial moments, in all things, God is only always working for your good. I'll close with some timeless pastoral counsel from my favorite pastor, John Newton. He was writing to someone who was grieving for her ailing sister, and he says this, Your sister is much upon my mind. Her illness grieves me. Were it in my power, I would quickly remove it. The Lord can, and I hope will, when it it has answered the end for which he sent it. I trust he has brought her to us for good, and that she is chastised by him, that she may not be condemned with the world. I hope, though she says little, she lifts up her heart to him for a blessing. I wish you may be enabled to leave her and yourself and all your concerns in his hands. He has a sovereign right to do with us as he pleases. And if we consider what we are, surely we shall confess we have no reason to complain. And to those who seek him, his sovereignty is exercised in a way of grace. All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. You might not be able to see the way, but you can see the one who you follow. And you can know that God is only always working for our good. The sovereign God of the universe is only always working for our good. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for my friends here, Lord. I know that there are people here who are having a hard time seeing you because, frankly, the circumstances of their life is eclipsing their view of you. And Lord, I pray that you would see, help them to see that you're, you're, sov- you're a sovereign God who's not just active in eternity past, but you're active today and here and now in the lives of your people. You're active today and here and now in the lives of the people here in this room. Everybody who loves you and is called according to your purpose, you are working in only always for their good. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people that looks not to our own resources and to our own strength and to our own abilities and to our own, our own worthiness, but I pray that we would be a people who look to God and to know that we have a God in heaven who, tr- who, who loves us, not because we're lovable or because we're worthy, but because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has taken our place and taken our sins upon the cross and nailed them there forever. And God poured out his wrath, not upon us, but upon him. And I pray that we would be a confident people, not because we are great, but because our king is great. I pray that we would be a confident people no matter what comes. Lord, I pray that when bad times come, we would be a people who look to see how you work. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who see that you are working only always for our good. And I pray, Lord, I pray that if people walked into this room with a weight of of just maybe sadness or discouragement or depression, Lord, I pray that that would lift. Lord, I pray that if people come in just being harangued and harassed by life. I pray that if the winds of affliction are blowing hard against the souls of people here, Lord, I pray that you would, see, you would speak a word and say, silence, be calm. But Lord, should you choose not to do that, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who look not to answers from prayer primarily, but look to the one who stands above all things. Lord, you are sovereign, You are in control, you are good, you are gracious, and we can know this, that you only, always work for our good. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our hope for today, tomorrow, and forever. It's in that name we pray. Amen.